Hello and welcome back to another amazing episode of Parsha Lab. This week's Parsha is Parshat Mishpatim, and I am Imu Shalev. And I am Rabbi Foreman, reminding you that whether it's amazing or not is yet to be seen, Imu. What do you have in store for us? <laughs> well, let's make it amazing. So um, what I would like to do with you today, Rabbi Foreman, is explore a little bit of an idea that David Block and I developed in Parsha Experiment. Um, and the idea is as follows. And let me just interrupt for a second before you get to the idea. When Imu says Parsha Experiment, what he's actually referring to is our third year of Parsha. On Aleph Beta, you can find videos. I did the first two years. Imu and David Block did a third year, which is a little bit different, uh, where what they were focusing on was trying to understand the larger story, the larger narrative of the Torah. Because if you're not careful, it just looks like a bunch of disconnected vignettes and some laws thrown in. And they really kind of embarked on an ambitious quest to see how it all ties together. Um, it, one of the really wonderful things about listening to Parsha Experiment is that you get kind of a theory about how the five books of Moses ultimately hang together to form a large epic story. So, yeah, thanks for the introduction, Rabbi Foreman. I think that um, you know Parshat Mishpatim is actually a, a really key moment in in our Parsha Experiment theory of seeing the larger storyline of the Torah because this is the first real Parsha where the storyline is interrupted. Way back in Parsha's bow, there's you know some interruption of laws around the Korban Pesach during Pesach time. But really, there's no major Parsha that is entirely a section of laws. Up until now, from Bereshis all the way through Yitro, through the giving of the Torah, we get the story of the, the Israelites leaving Egypt, and then bam, right after Matan Torah, you get laws. Long, boring laws. You get laws about slaves. You get laws about killing people. You get laws about hitting people. You get laws about stealing. So let me ask you a question, Rabbi Foreman. I just mentioned to you that we have laws about killing. We've got laws about stealing. We've got laws about cursing your father and mother. Does that remind you of anything? So uh, if you take those three examples, you've got laws about stealing. You've got laws about killing. You've got laws about cursing father and mother. We're in Parshat Mishpatim. If I play where have I kind of heard all that before, going back to Parshat Yitra, the very last Parsha, we had the Ten Commandments, where father and mother played a very important role. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother, where killing played a very important role in the next mitzvah, do not kill, where do not steal played a very important role. Are we getting some sort of reprise, I suppose you might say, of the Ten Commandments in Parshat Mishpatim? Maybe we are. And that might be a way of seeing Parshat Mishpatim somehow might be an extension of the Ten Commandments. How exactly? We'll have to, to wait and see. But before we go there, maybe you think this is all just a, a coincidence, you know, killing, stealing, cursing father and mother. That's a little bit random. But maybe maybe this isn't a pattern. So I want to take you someplace else, right? Right in the beginning of this Parsha, you have the laws of slavery, Right? And slavery doesn't really feel like it's out in the Ten Commandments, but let me read this law with you and see if it reminds you of anything, Rabbi Foreman. Okay. Right? So when a slave works for six years, he should work. And in the seventh, he gets to go free. Does that remind you anything, Rabbi Foreman? So yes, when he put that emphasis in there and six years you should work and the seventh year you sort of go free, it sure evokes the kind of six and seven in the Ten Commandments, which of course is the Sabbath. And the ideas are the same, right? Because it's 
in the Sabbath, six days you work, 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 almost like a slave, and in the seventh you rest. And here for slaves, six years you work, 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 really like a slave. And in the seventh, you really rest because you, you get to be free. So there there does see that seem to be not kind of resonance, not just in the concepts, but even in the language of the text. So let me ask you a question, Emu. You said if this is a real pattern, it should go further. You've given me now four instances of the pattern, killing, stealing, uh, mothers and fathers, and uh, these slaves that go for six years and seven years, four resonances within the Ten Commandments. Give me something else. If it's a pattern, there were 10 of those Ten Commandments. Give me another one. Sure. Um, way down in um, 2324. Do not bow down to foreign gods. Do not serve them. Do not do as they do. You shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. Well, that sure sounds a lot like uh, the laws against idolatry in the Ten Commandments, even in the language. Was the language of the Ten Commandments. You shall not bow to them. Over here, you shall not bow to their gods. Uh, you know, pretty clear echo. So, Emu, chalk up another one for you. There's five. Give me another one. Give me one more. Let me, let me take you to a really interesting one, and you'll see why in a minute. Come to Shemot 23.1. Loti al tashat yadcha im liyot eid hamas. Right? So this one is, is somehow about bearing a false report um, and do not uh, join with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Okay, so Does that I'm remind not, you of anything? Right, but the confusing thing is that it's reminding me of two things. Uh, you can play psychotherapist over here while I uh, bear my soul about my confusion here, right? Because on the one hand, uh, the idea here, uh, if you just translate the words, you shall not bear a false report, really sounds very similar to the idea in the Ten Commandments of you shall not bear false witness, which is commandment, if I'm not mistaken, number nine, which is don't lie about somebody in court. Um, the problem is, is that it, that's if you compare the ideas. But if you compare the words, the words are taking me to another resonance in the Ten Commandments, almost like wordplay, which is the commandment, I guess it's number three, which is do not take God's name in vain. Lotisa Shema Shav. And listen to how the words are so similar. Lotisa et Shem Hashem Elokecha Lashav is the Hebrew for you shall not take God's name in vain. The first word's Lotisa, exactly the same. Even the word for Shema, report, is a play seemingly off of the word shame, right? In the Ten Commandments, don't take God's name in vain. Here, don't take a, a, a report that's false. And Shav, of course, the word for false is the same or or the you know um, unnecessary or false uh, or vain uh, exactly the same it's an unusual Hebrew word so uh, I guess my confusion Mr. Therapist is that I seem to be hearing two resonances at the same time uh, part of my brain when I listen to these words as being taken to number nine in the Ten Commandments do not bear false witness against uh, against someone and part of my brain is being taken to number three in the Ten Commandments. Do not take God's name in vain. So I'm confused. And and what do you make of that, Rabbi Foreman? <laughs> like a good therapist, what do you make of that? Like a good Jewish therapist. Let the light bulb uh, <laughs> solve its own problem. The light bulb should be able to screw it in. Why am I paying you $300 an hour, emu therapist, to tell me to solve my own problems? Fine, I'll take a crack at it. It feels like... 
maybe there's a kind of richness here. And um, if uh, uh, if you think about, you know, pull back the zoom lens into one of the takeaways is what it is you're doing here, right? Why are we playing this game? It's not just a little game like, oh, look, it's the Ten Commandments. I bet you can find the Ten Commandments in Parshat Mishpatim. There's actually a meaning to this madness, right? And the meaning to the madness is, is that um, if this is a story, right, then these laws are more than just laws. It's not just that we're getting a bunch of legal things happening here with legal implications. There are legal implications for these laws, but there's also narrative implications. There's also an ethical thing which is flowing through here. And what you're seeing here is something mind-boggling, uh, if it's really true, which is a kind of intertextual overlay between elements of Mishpatim and the Ten Commandments. Um, for those of you who have been in Aleph Beta, uh, kind of around the block there, we have a series in Aleph Beta called The Hidden Structure of the Ten Commandments, which is where we look at the two sides of the Ten Commandments and how they sort of explain one another. And what Emu and David were suggesting here in Parshat Experiment and, and, and kind of filling me in and now is this notion that there's another overlay in the Ten Commandments. In addition to that, there's all of Parshat Mishpatim that's kind of acting as an overlay to the Ten Commandments almost in an explanatory kind of way. So what you have here, uh, if you would ask me to explain what's happening with this verse with a double resonance, is you have one idea in the Ten Commandments that's resonating with two different laws, almost suggesting that there's some kind of connection between three and nine in the Ten Commandments. As if somehow, and I, uh, maybe I'll kick the football back to you, Emu, that there's something about do not lie about someone in court which is resonating in a way with not taking God's name in vain, that even though those seem to be two very different things, maybe this verse is telling us that in some way they're connected. Yeah, I, I think I think what's happening, uh, and I like the way you phrased it, is that there's a larger value here behind each of the Ten Commandments. They're not just individual laws, but that they express themselves in multiple ways, and in, in some ways that you might seem uh, as unlikely. So a law that is that you can see as dry as don't use the Lord's name in vain could perhaps be something more like you should make sure to respect God and his reputation, right? because name can sometimes not just mean name, but also reputation. And and therefore, you should respect the, the name and reputation of God's children as well. Interesting. Because, so, uh, as I believe, yeah. go ahead. No, it's interesting. So in other words, what you seem to be kind of saying is, is I hear like sort of two interesting resonances here. On the one hand, there's a commonality between God and people, right? God is big creator with a capital C and and we're little creators. We're Tselemalikim, we're in the image of God. And if you're going to respect God's name, it respect, you have to respect people's name also. But there's also kind of a double entendre in name. And what you're suggesting is that even though the legal expression of these principles is that you should not take God's name in vain, and that means something legally, but there's a broader ethical meaning here also, which is that name has other implications, right? The same way that I say you're impugning my good name, you don't mean you're impugning my name Foreman or my name Shalev, right? It means you're impugning my reputation. And the Torah is kind of creating a blending of ideas here between taking God's literal name in vain and imputing someone's reputation and saying there's kind of a commonality there. A name is the way we express ourselves in the world. And we have to be careful with people's names because people are special in a little tiny way, the kind of way that God himself is special. All right, Foreman, do you, do you think that there's anything to the fact that the Torah here chose to root this law, which seems to be, you know, you know, between man and fellow man in something um, 
you know, instead of rooting it in one of the Ten Commandment laws that it could have, right, don't don't bear false witness, it's choosing to root it in in this law of why do you think the Torah is doing that? What's the that's moral actually, implication of that? Yeah, it's fascinating. It, it reminds me in a way almost of that other law in the Torah that you can't leave a corpse hanging, that a, a corpse that someone was killed, you can't leave it hanging overnight, even if it was stoned or you know done legally by virtue of the court, because to do so is to blaspheme God himself. And, and you know, the the Mepharshim, the commentators struggle with that, and they see this kind of commonality between humans and God, and that inasmuch as a person is B'Tselem Elohim, is created in the image of God, to uh, to deface or degrade a human by making him a laughing stock, uh, the, the corpse being hung out for people to jeer at, is a desecration of God's name himself. And you see sort of the resonances maybe of that here, which is that to to lie about someone in court, if you think you could get away with that, right, the ultimate ethical reason why you can't is that to do so is in some little way to partake of a desecration of God's name, that people um, uh, who are little images of God walking around, that if you impugn their reputations, it's like God feels it as if it's taking his name. It's that it, it's it, that it, almost as if God feels a kind of fellowship with humankind, with those who are um, who are thereby impugned and sees it as an attack uh, on his name. And again, that commonality between name and reputation. Wow, that's very powerful and inspiring and, and feels like so much more than just simple laws, right? It feels like there's real values here and maybe even a conversation between commandments and laws. Um, I want to take you someplace else um, that, that I think might also be really interesting. Uh, come with me to Shmos Chaf Beis Chaf Aleph. Okay, twenty two twenty one. I am with you. Kol almanavi atom lo te'anun. Do not oppress the orphan and the widow. Now, orphans and widows are not in the Ten Commandments, but does this word remind you of anything? But lo te'anun is in the Ten Commandments. Specifically, again, the it's it's actually the last commandment which we talked about, which is lo ta'anebrecha edshaker, as the Hebrew. For do not bear false witness against your fellow. Again, lotaane seems to be um, uh, becoming lotaanun. Now, here also, again, it's a wordplay because lotaane brayachayachaker seems to mean literally lotaane in the sense of answer. Do not answer uh, or do not testify falsely about someone. And here, lotaanun is is a wordplay, but uh, um, the the ta'anun is now going to be probably in the PL form, and it's going to mean oppress. Uh, so you shall not oppress the widow and orphan. But the wordplay is there, which you know perhaps does evoke the Ten Commandments, leading me to question Imu. Why would oppressing a widow and orphan be related or a subcategory in some way of lotana brayachai chakar? Um, is it because... Uh, you know, the who would you take advantage of in false testimony? You might take advantage of those That's who are exactly less That's exactly where I would you. go with it. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, it's exactly where I would go with it. Keep, expand. I, I, I reached this conclusion. I'm curious to watch you reach the conclusion and see how you would phrase it. So go for it. Right. No, it's like the idea is like, who are you going to bear false testimony against? And here it's like a power play. It's power structure. It's like I'm not going to bear false testimony against my boss who can fire me, who can slam me. That's too dangerous, right? But uh, if I can 
make a few bucks or if life is a little better for me by taking advantage with those who don't have the reputation to challenge me. And if you even think about in modern day, you know, the Me Too movement and the and, and all that, you know, it's it's interesting that a lot of the if you think about the uh, the kind of oppression uh, and that's really what we're talking about here, called manaviyatam tanun to oppress the widow and orphan. Oppression is something that happens to the weak specifically because they aren't believed when they challenge the rich and famous, right? So if you're if you're if you're famous, if you're a star, they let you do it. Or if they don't let you do it, if you're famous and you're a star, uh, they won't believe you if you uh, if you complain. Uh, unless many, many, many people complain, and then you have a chance. And so the Torah is saying, don't take advantage of the power dynamic in which you find yourself in a powerful place to be able to oppress others by lying about them. Don't do that. So it's almost, again, coming back to that idea which we were talking about before, that I, I see what you're saying, that the, the resonances of the Ten Commandments and Mishpatim may be lending a kind of richness to what, you know, at least some of what the Torah has in mind in the idea behind the Ten Commandments, which is that there's there's a power play, an illegitimate power play being suggested in false testimony. Yeah, and to riff off of what you said or maybe, maybe expand it or take it a slightly different direction, what is the purpose of the command of Lotan Abarecha Echecha, right? It's not, I mean, yes, don't lie on the witness stand, but is, is that really such a big uh, law that it should make it into the top 10 laws and the 10 commandments. I hear what it, you're it saying. It could right? be that that law is a principle and it's a principle to have integrity in your justice system because what is the purpose of a justice system, right? You know who doesn't need the justice system? The rich and powerful. They, they don't need a justice system because they can, they can see to their own justice and they can get what they want. But what the justice system does is it equalizes society and makes rich and uh, it makes um, riches and power not really matter in the eyes of the law, right? In the eyes of the law, and when there is iniquity and injustice done, people who need justice the most are the amana and the atom, right? Then the justice system will have integrity. Else, you will be oppressing people, and the people who are going to be paying for the oppression for a broken justice system are the people who are the most vulnerable. So if I understand you correctly, uh, the, the point here is that you know, society in the state of nature, I know there's, uh, includes rich men, rich people and poor people. By nature, rich people are in a position that they could take advantage of the poor. Along comes uh, society in the form of law, in the form of court systems, in an attempt to rectify that injustice and establish a, a, a level playing field, enter the court system. Comes along the Torah and says, don't corrupt the very institution whose purpose is there to equalize the playing field by turning that into another form of oppression, by just making that another tool, by making that another thing that you can use as a sledgehammer to hammer the poor with, that you get up on the witness stand and use the justice system as a tool of oppression. That's the Lota Anun of the Amanaviyatam together with the Lota Nebrechaichakar. Um, which is, uh, th that is the, the ultimate evil, which is it's bad enough to oppress the widow and the orphan. It's worse to take the very societal institution that's supposed to protect them and to use that as the tool of your oppression. Exactly. And I think, I think that's very powerful the way you just, you, the way you just phrased it. And I think, you know, there, what is, what's to stop the rich from abusing their privilege and from becoming uh, an aid shocker and, and oppressing the orphan and the widow? Well, the very next verse is really, really uh, inspiring. 
It says, Im aneta if you choose to oppress him, ki im right? He'll cry out. And if the justice system no longer has integrity and cannot correct the imbalance, I will hear him. In other words, that's a pretty good guarantee. Well, and if you get back to the notion of justice system, what it's suggesting is that there's a second justice system. There's heavenly justice and that God is the ultimate judge. So if you put it uh, in terms of the way we're talking about it, it's almost as if there's four layers, right? Layer number one, the state of nature. In the state of nature, there's some people who are rich, there's some people who are poor. There's a temptation of the rich to use their power to oppress the poor. Along comes a justice system that attempts to rectify that. If the justice system itself becomes corrupted when those in power use it as the tool through which to continue oppression of the poor, then, so to speak, the law naturally rises to the Supreme Court, as it were, to a system that's not broken, to a heavenly justice system, and it falls to God to exact justice. And at that point, God is exacting justice, which if you go really to the next verse, Emu, is that sort of sense, which is that there's a heavenly, not just a heavenly punishment, not just that God gets mad, but a heavenly justice because the earthly justice didn't work. If the people you take advantage of the widow are orphans, then I will end up killing people and making widows and orphans of the people who oppress the widows and orphans. And it's sort of a heavenly mita, connected mita system, which we identify with justice, but not earthly justice, a kind of heavenly justice. The Supreme Court, so to speak, has spoken. So I think, I think all this is really breathtaking. I think that there's so much more amazing work to do in Parshat Mishpatim. I think we're we're out of time. I would love to challenge all of you. Uh, I personally have found nine out of ten uh, of the Ten Commandments all throughout this Parsha. There's one missing. Uh, I'm not the first one to notice that missing one. I believe the Ramban, uh, who also sees Ten Commandments connections here, also sees the the one that I'm seeing is missing is missing. But if you wanna want to hunt for it and email us uh, the missing the missing commandment or if you want to show us the places that you found uh, Ten Commandments applications we'd love to hear your thoughts info at alephbeta.org um, and please if you want to support us super super important just take out your phone rate us uh, in the iTunes store uh, make sure to, to leave a little review um, it should be a good review if you're going to leave a bad review then do not leave it we'll feel bad about ourselves and do us a favor and uh, share this. Share this with friends uh, who will like it. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time on Partial Lab.